Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. Actually, today we are filming at Philpot Dam Overlook, a place of almost surreal beauty. It is a reminder to us that as we see the beautiful leaves changing color, that the seasons are changing, but God's love for us remains unchanging. Let us begin our service of worship. Will you join me in the call to worship? Almighty God, you teach us in your word that love is the fulfilling of the law. Grant that we may love you with all our heart and our neighbors as ourselves. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. responsibly our opening prayer. Lord, you are the one we turn to time and time again 
no matter what goes on in our lives. You are our sanctuary when times are rough. You are our encourager when we feel discouraged. You are our God who loves us even when we feel unloved. You are our host who welcomes us when we feel tired and weary. You are our nurturer when we need to be taught how to live as your children. And we are your children who seek to know you more deeply in our lives. We are your followers who seek to live as you would want us to live. We are your servants in a world that has so many great needs. We are who others look at to see how one lives when they say they really believe. And we come back home to you daily seeking that warmth, that love, that encouragement. Your hospitality and love make it possible to then live as your children so that all may find their home in you and feast at your heavenly table of plenty. Amen. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children for our children's time this morning. This morning we have a gospel lesson in which Jesus is asked by a lawyer which commandment is the most important. And Jesus shares, first of all, a statement that is central to Jewish belief. He is called the Shema, and he says, the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. But then he says a second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he makes those two things one thing, that our love of God and our love of neighbor are not two separate things, they are one thing. If we want to love God, we have to love our neighbor, no exceptions. Even if we don't like our neighbor, we have to love our neighbor. And when Jesus talks about us loving our neighbor, he's talking about action. He's talking about commitment. He's talking about us wanting for our neighbors everything that we want for ourselves. We want them to be safe and we want them to be happy and we want them to be well cared for. And it's not just enough to want those things for them. We have to do something about that want. We have to uh, try to take care of them. Uh, I was thinking about our food bank, which is when at our church we have a group of volunteers who gather and they give out boxes of food to people who need food. They don't stand at the church and say, well, we, we wish you had food. Be full. We know you're hungry, but just pretend you're full. No, they give them actual food because they're actually hungry. They put their love in action. Many of you probably have pets. You might have a dog or a cat. Now, you can't say that you love your dog or your cat and not take care of your dog or cat, not feed your dog or cat, not play with your dog or cat, not take your dog for walks or, or um, play with wand toys with your cats or um, whatever your pet is, you wanna care for that pet when you say that you love that pet. It's kind of the same thing. Our love in action for our neighbors helps us to draw closer to God. And uh, our love for God helps us to draw closer to our neighbors. So I want you to really remember this week that love is not really about a feeling. 
love is about an action and that when we love others, we also love God. And when we love God, we're also called to love others. Thanks for your attention this morning. As we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Our lives are full, O oh God, full of obligations, commitments, responsibilities, things to do and places to go. Our lives are full of things, our possessions, our treasures. And our lives are full of hope and fear, full of dreams and anxieties. In this time together, give us grace to let go of all of that and to listen quietly for your still small voice of calm. Help us to hear your word filled with your truth and love and grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy, beginning with the first verse. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hand on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 22nd chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 34th verse. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we think together about our faith, there may be few scriptures that strike at the very heart of the matter, like the gospel text we just heard. This notion of the love of God united with the love of neighbor in the great commandment is a central focus for us. It is the reason for the existence of our faith community. All our ministries start from our experience of the love of God. And through that experience, we recognize that we must share that love through mission and ministry. The great commandment is another representation and the completion of what is sometimes referred to as the golden rule. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 12th verse, Jesus says, In everything do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. And then in today's text, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is not saying, love God and think about others from time to time. Jesus is not saying, know God and then make God known. Jesus is saying that our love for others is a primary arena where we practice our love of God. Jesus makes love of God and love of neighbor inextricable. You can't love God without loving what God loves. I think that because this is so difficult, people sometimes try to muddy the waters. The parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, is told because Jesus is asked, who these neighbors are exactly. I had a professor in seminary who said, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you don't love yourself, stay the heck away from your neighbors. There are puzzles to be solved with this text to be sure, not the least of which being that Jesus says these things about love, not so that we might have something nice to needlepoint and hang in the living room, but because we're supposed to do something about it. Jesus calls this love a commandment, which means that it is not a product of our hearts so much as it is a product of our wills. Neighbors are not always likable or lovable or even peaceable, but it's kind of a Nike theology thing. Just do it. By commanding us to love, Jesus seems to be talking more about our attitudes than our emotions. Where God is concerned, love calls for a total surrender of our person 
to the personality and purpose of God. And where other people are concerned, it is something like that, a way of being for each other that imitates God's being for us. Not a feeling, but more of a posture. That's hard for some of us to grasp, hard for all of us to articulate with so many kinds of love floating around, but we tend to know it when we see it. Sometimes it is the person-to-person variety. Ed Rigg is a pastor in the Virginia Annual Conference, and some years ago when we were both serving together on the Charlottesville District, Ed gave his kidney, a kidney, to the son of another pastor. Now, there are all kinds of reasons he could have used to talk himself out of doing that. He could have said, well, the transplant might fail, or, or um, knowing that somebody else would have to care for his family while he recovered from the surgery, he could have just said, well, that's too bad. I'm not going to be able to do that. But he didn't try to talk himself out of it. I don't know what he said to himself to talk himself into it, but he ended up giving up some of his life so that a fellow pastor's son could have the chance at a life of his own. Sometimes neighbor love is of the social variety. Barbara Brown Taylor tells the story of a well-to-do lawyer in a South Georgia town who drives past an old sharecropper's shack every single day on his way to work. And he can see that there's plastic covering the broken windows and plywood nailed over the holes in the roof. The children in the yard are barefoot, well past the first frost. And the tired looking woman on the front porch is always wearing the same dress. One day it occurs to him that these are his neighbors and that loving them means wanting for them what he wants for himself. Food and shelter and clothing and medical care, education and justice. It's a long list, but he doesn't let that discourage him. He picks one of those things, one that he can tackle, shelter, and he stops being a lawyer so that he can start building houses that anyone can afford. He relies on volunteer labor, donated materials, no interest loans, and behold, it works. Habitat for Humanity is born. These are both true stories, and perhaps because we like the neighbors in both, uh, they're a little bit tricky. Where Jesus' commandment gets really sticky is when the neighbor in question is not lovable at all. Like the man who beats his child so severely that the child ends up in the ICU. Or when the neighbor is a church leader who turns out to be FBI spy Robert Hansen. Or, or the person who borrowed all that money from you and never paid it back. Or the person who said something hurtful and never apologized. Surely this commandment doesn't apply to any of them, right? Surely there are some people in the world that we are not required to like, let alone love, right? Well, maybe so. I'm not God, so I wouldn't know. But the way I read the double commandment of love, there's no fine print in it. There's no requirement that my neighbors have to reach a certain standard before they are eligible to receive my love. 
no circumstances under which I am excused from loving them for whatever reason. Maybe it feels difficult to me or it complicates or compromises my morals. Love often compromises our morals. Just like it compromised Jesus' morals to accept death on the cross from the very people he came to save. If Jesus had saved his love for those who were worthy of it, none of us would be worshiping here today. The Christian experiment would have ended 2,000 years ago as a not-so-special movement after all. The fact that we are here redefines love for us. Love, the kind of love that God talks about and Jesus embodies and calls us to, it's not a reward for good behavior. It's the source of all life. It's the most powerful source of change in the whole universe. If God withdraws it from us, we die. And when we withdraw it from each other, we die too in big and little ways. By linking our love of God with our love for each other, Jesus teaches us that these are not two things, they are one. There is no love of God without love of neighbor. We cannot turn our backs on our neighbors without turning our backs on God. Who doesn't understand that behavior? Doesn't understand that kind of, of withholding. God who lavishes his love on saint and sinner alike. Not because there's no difference between them, but because love is who God is. Love is what God does. Love is why God is. The love that is the heart that beats at the center of the universe. Drawing close to God, we draw close to one another. Moving away from each other, we move away from God. That's how it works. There isn't another way. So it isn't our neighbors who have to pass a test. It's us. Will we or won't we be agents of God's love? Remember that the primary component of biblical love is commitment and action, not affection. Isaac Newton's first law of physics is the law of inertia. A body at rest stays at rest, and a body in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. If I'm holding a tennis ball in my hand, it's not going anywhere unless I throw it. And if I throw it, it will keep moving unless someone catches it or drag and gravity slow it down. The same is true for the spirit. To grow in the love of God and neighbor requires movement from where we are to a different place. A friend of mine said that he once measured his life by asking himself on a regular basis three questions. Whom do I love today that I did not love a year ago? What do I love today that I did not love a year ago? And what do I understand and love about God that I didn't a year ago? And he says if the answer to any of them is nothing, then he knows he's in a spiritual rut. And he says, a rut is just a grave with both ends knocked out. Not a place one wants to stay, in other words. Some people think that faith is a very private thing, but Jesus isn't one of them. Our text today is Jesus' introduction of a corrective that means that faith 
is never purely individualistic or solitary. Loving God means loving each other. It's never just about me or you. Loving God is always about us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, remain with you, and abide with you always. Amen.